0: If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to two places. Our sermon text for this morning will come from 1 Peter chapter 5, but we'll also be reading from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 39. i will give us a little time to flip there. Genesis uh, chapter 39, beginning in the second half of verse 6, and then 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Let's hear God's word together. Genesis 39, beginning of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master is no concern about anything in his house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand. And fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And now I'll invite you to flip over to our sermon text for this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please pray with me and for me. God, we thank you for your word. You have given it to us so that we may know how we may glorify you, how we may enjoy you forever. And you have given it so that we may know you and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that in our time this morning that your spirit may give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that your spirit may bring conviction where needed, that your spirit may lift up the heart of the downcast where needed, and may cause all of us to look up and to see King Jesus on his throne. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In 1898, an ambitious construction project was taking place in East Africa. A railway was being constructed connecting Kenya and Uganda, and hundreds of workers were hired to see the completion of this project. However, this construction work took a turn for the worse when they began to build a bridge over the Savo River. Two cunning male lions emerged and began to attack the workers. These lions were intelligent, overcoming traps and barriers that were set to keep them at bay. They were persistently finding themselves in the tents of these workers. These lions were brutal. They would terrorize the workers at night, picking off unsuspecting men one by one. A skilled hunter was eventually dispatched, and he would bring an end to the lion's reign of terror, but only after somewhere between 50 and a hundred workers' lives ended. These two lions came to be known as the man-eaters of Savo, and you can actually see them in a preserved form, taxidermied at the Field Museum in Chicago. Today's passage presents us with a powerful image, like the man-eaters of Savo, an image of a lion. What do we do when suffering comes knocking on our door or when a lion enters our tent the book of 1st Peter helps us to answer this question Peter is writing to a people acquainted with suffering his audience is likely made up of Jewish converts to Christianity who were kicked out of their home in Rome They were moved out by the Emperor Claudius to populate newer areas, newer colonies throughout Asia Minor. Some scholars believe that they may have even been moved out because of their faith in Christ. But wherever it is they came from, what do we know about them? They are sojourners. They are a people without a home. And in that respect, we look a lot like them. We look a lot like these Christians in the first century, people without an earthly home, people under attack by an enemy. And so we'll consider how Peter addresses this group of suffering Christians, which includes us by extension under three points. One, our disposition, two, our adversary, and three, our reward. We'll begin with the first point, our disposition, looking at verses 6 and 7. What does Peter say about our disposition when we face suffering? Well, it's worth recalling that the first few verses of chapter 5 is addressing the elders of the church. Peter addresses these elders as one who has seen Christ's suffering and who will partake of his coming glory. And he calls the elders to leadership Through humility. But lest we think that humility is only required of those in spiritual authority, Peter follows up with verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In light of what Scripture says concerning humbleness, Peter tells us in verse 6 that our disposition our starting point in all things is to be one of humility. Be humbled, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, this may not be what we come to expect, especially in Western culture. Humility has become a vice. Pride has become a virtue. Now, that's not to say that we can't be proud of good, honest work or of particular achievements that we make in this life. But what is our disposition here as Christians? What should we want to be known by? By our humility or by our pride? Peter tells us that it's humility. This is our disposition. And in particular, when we face suffering. We are those who are humbled by the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God is a phrase that is used throughout the Exodus story. It speaks and testifies of God's work in saving Israel from the oppressive grasp of Egypt. And as those who have been delivered from the Egypt of sin and of death through a new Exodus, by the blood of Christ, we ought to be humble. This word here is not a suggestion. It was not a suggestion for Peter's readers, nor is it for us. To be humble is our command, rooted in the gospel. You can almost hear Peter telling his readers: "Are you feeling ostracized? Do do you feel looked down upon? Don't puff yourself up, but be humble in heart." And in mind, The gospel compels us to be humble. We were not rescued by our own hand, but by the hand of God. And at times, we are actually made to be humble on account of the gospel. The Christian sojourner in the first century could be subject to many difficulties, economic, social, and the like, but the greatest difficulty that they faced, and the one that impacts all the others, is who they will worship. When they reject the local gods, when they refuse to pledge allegiance to Caesar in order to honor Christ as Lord, there the Christians will find humiliation. Perhaps as soon as their neighbors find out that they're Christians, Hostility, betrayal, maybe even persecution would take place. And what might they be tempted to when that occurs? What might have Joseph been tempted to when he was tempted and after doing what was right still faced the punishment of a criminal? We can also think about our day and age. In the 21st century, perhaps you have been mistreated in the workplace because of your faith. Perhaps you've been labeled as hateful for doing nothing more than believing what the scriptures teach and what Christians have believed for thousands of years. In moments like these, we can be tempted to be proud, to make this about ourselves, but not ultimately about the God who has called us to this living. We can say, this, this mistreatment is an offense to me. I deserve to be vindicated here and now. I deserve to be placed in a position of validation and of honor. One commentator writes, In, in such situations, Christians are tempted to react in pride, perhaps even to draw the sword like Peter did in the garden. And some of you may be familiar with this. The Mandalorians have their mantra, this is the way. But retaliation is not the way of Christ. What does Peter tell us earlier in this letter? Do not repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless. Peter tells us that it is better to suffer than to sin. We are to humble ourselves not by taking matters into our own hands, but by casting it into the hands of another. Our humble disposition reminds us that, that we were delivered by God's hand. So why should we hold on to these concerns? We can't do anything about this. Why should we let them burden us? Let us cast off our worries. Let us transfer our anxiety into the hand of of God, And by casting off our worries, we say it now belongs to the one who can do something about our unjust suffering. King David presents this disposition in song, in Psalm 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Give your anxiety to the Lord. Why? Peter tells us in verse 7. Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Even when Joseph was wrongfully imprisoned, what did we read in Genesis 39? The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Do you need this reminder? Have you been going through a dark season, one of suffering, perhaps on account of your faith? God has not abandoned you in your suffering. Our God knows about it. Our God cares about it. Our God cares about you. Give Him your worries. Give him your concerns. He will make things right. And what are we to do in the meantime then? We are to be on guard. That brings us to our second point, our adversary. Our trials and sufferings on account of our faith are hard enough, aren't they? Perhaps you've lost friends over the years. Relationships with loved ones have become strained. They they just don't get all the Jesus talk. There may be some of us who have lost income or who have lost jobs even because of their faith. Realizing difficulties like these, Peter tells his readers, tells us to be sober, to be of sober mind. And of course, when thinking of sobriety, its opposite often comes to mind. And we even heard this last week. But what is an effect of drunkenness? It limits our vision. It makes us nearsighted, not only with our ability to see, but our ability to act in a wise manner. But deep anger, resentment, does the same as well, doesn't it? There may be an example that comes to mind, but our intense anger or our resentment can cloud our judgment. It can hinder our ability to foresee what lies ahead or even what lies beside us. So Peter tells us to be sober and alert. Why? What are we to be in constant readiness for? A lion entering your tent. Peter presents this lion as our adversary. We are to watch out not just for an adversary, or the adversary, but your adversary. Adversary. The Greek word used here has a legal background. It refers to someone who brings a charge in a lawsuit. In the, and, and we have seen the accuser before, haven't we? We have seen this adversary in the heavenly courtroom before the Lord. And what was he trying to do? He was seeking to tear apart Job's reputation as a faithful man. The devil, our adversary, is on the hunt. He is looking for evidence to present. He is not content to just let our suffering do all the damage in our lives. He wants to take advantage of our suffering. He wants to take advantage of our lack of sobriety and alertness, and he wants to ensure our end. This is why humility, soberness, alertness is so important. We must watch out for this ancient foe. Others in the world may oppress us. They may humiliate us because of our faith. But it's ultimately the devil who wants to destroy us, who wants to ruin us. Peter calls the devil a roaring lion. And this is a curious choice. After all, we know uh, that Jesus is called a lion. Jesus is is the lion of the tribe of Judah, prophesied in Genesis. But Scripture does give us a positive use of the lion, but also a negative one. For example, in Psalm 22, lion imagery is used, but it's not used to describe the ruler of Israel, but the enemy of Israel. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And in the first century, lions brought to mind images of gladiator battles, of public execution. The lion imagery here is meant to portray a brutal, a ruthless, and dangerous opponent. As we undergo trials, we have an enemy who seeks to destroy us. So to be self centered, to be prideful, to make these occasions of suffering all about us makes us spiritually vulnerable to his attacks, to his lies. We must be in readiness for this lion. Boys and girls, if you have seen a a National Geographic program about lions, you might know about their hunting techniques. They typically hunt in groups, and what do they do? They circle around a lion and make it impossible to escape. But what if it's a single lion who's on the hunt? He'll stoop down. He'll hide behind tall grass. He'll search out his prey. Could it be a young animal, an old animal, or perhaps a distracted animal? When he or she finds the right prey and they pounce, they will certainly come away with a successful hunt. So we must be alert we must resist him in humility. We depend on the Lord who, uh, who, who fights on our behalf. We cannot defeat the devil on our own, but who do we have beside us? The Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us his armor so that we could properly resist the lies of the devil. And as he casts those lies... As you go through times of suffering, as you go into times of mourning, and he presents lies, and he seeks to cast doubts on the goodness of the Lord and his faithfulness to you, what do you do? But with your armor on, you extinguish his fiery arrows. You bring to mind the truth that God cares. Verse 7. When he uses individuals and governments to persecute, we count it as joy to suffer for the cause of Christ. This is Christian resistance. We don't pursue suffering at every turn, but when it comes, we endure it in humility to the glory of God. And we resist the devil knowing that we aren't alone. Peter tells us this in the end of verse 9, we resist the devil knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The ESV translates this as experienced suffering, but other translations may use the literal meaning of this word and, and say that, that brothers around the world have accomplished suffering. That means they have gone through suffering in accordance to God's plan. And God does use these occasions for our growth, for our testing, Peter encourages his readers, telling them, brothers and sisters around the world are enduring similar things according to God's plan. And of course, we can say the same thing today. Christians around the world face humiliation for the gospel. And in many places, it is far worse than we even know. Many of them, beloved saints in the Lord, are accomplishing suffering to the point of death. We think of, for example, our, our brothers and sisters past and present who have served in Eritrea on behalf of OPC foreign missions, they have suffered deeply, they have suffered greatly for the cause of the gospel. The church is made up of suffering people. No matter where you live and when you live, suffering, trials, are our way of life. But it's not the end of our story. And that brings us to our third and final point, our reward. Verse 10 reads, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, Strengthen and establish you. This is this is a fine translation. But but as we think about the reward for our suffering, and indeed we do have a reward, it's important to emphasize what Peter emphasizes. And in the original language, verse 10 begins with, but God. We might be familiar with that phrase. It's a beautiful phrase, is it not? typically we receive some heavy news. Indeed, some bad news. For example, the reality of our sinfulness before a holy God. But God, Ephesians 2, 4 says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive with Christ. That but God statement is so important. And in this case, what is the heavy news? We will face sufferings we will face attacks from the devil. Just as brothers and sisters have faced them. Just as Joseph faced them when he was wrongly accused of a heinous sin and yet imprisoned. But God. Note the contrast here. There are two points. Our lives will consist of suffering, but the God who gives grace called you to his glory in Christ Our life will consist of suffering for a little while. But the God of all grace has called you into his eternal glory. Suffering and glory for a little while and eternal. Though our sufferings are great, though the devil would wish to sift us like wheat, this is but a light and momentary affliction compared to the glory that is to come. That is our reward. Glory with Christ in the heavenly places. In fact, verses 6 and 10 of our passage are bookends that promise this reward to suffering Christians. Verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that At the proper time, he may exalt you. And then verse 10. Humble yourselves, uh, excuse me, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ. This is our reward. The one who perseveres in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials, in the midst of afflictions, will receive the reward of glory in Christ. And Peter confirms this reward in this use of four verbs at the end of verse 10. And what is interesting about these verbs is that they are virtually synonymous. They overlap in meaning. And so what is Paul, Peter trying to do here? He is confirming. He is giving a climactic declaration of what will come for those in Christ He is seeking to cast away all doubts of God's goodness, all doubts of God's faithfulness. And he is saying, This will surely come to pass. The God who called you, he himself will restore, will confirm, will strengthen, and will establish you. Are you stumbling this morning? Are you broken? This morning. And I think we all are. God will put all things right. He will mend you and restore you. Are you weary? Do you feel weak? God will strengthen you. Are you feeling like there are waves crashing all around you? Various forms of suffering, whether it comes from the world, whether it comes from the devil, the infirmities of the flesh, wherever it may be, God will confirm and secure you. You will not be moved because you will be found resting on a secure foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of us this morning may be asking, how? This sounds like great news, but how does Peter know? How does he know this is is the destiny for me? Well, it's because this is the pattern that our Lord Jesus established. Peter has mentioned this a few times in his letter. Suffering is the way to glory. Listen to 1 Peter 2, verse 21 and following. To this suffering you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. And here's the example. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. What an example we have the greatest of which we could ever see. And yet, he's not just our example. Peter follows in the, with the following verse. He himself bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Later in 1 Peter 4.13, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that as a result you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Christ's life of humiliation and of suffering paved the way to glory. Let's look at our text from the beginning. Christ is the one who humbled himself and lived a life of self-denial, verse 6. He is the one who casts his every care on his heavenly father, Verse 7. He resisted the devil, stood firm. Verse 9. The Lord is our elder brother who accomplished suffering. Do you remember our Lord's time in the wilderness? One temptation sticks out as I thought about this passage. The devil quoted Psalm 91 to him. Listen closely, beginning in verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The adversary tempted Jesus using the scriptures that testify of Jesus. He offered Christ a way to glory without the cross. Glory without suffering. But glory without suffering is not the way. The way of Christ is the way of suffering. Curiously enough, the devil stopped at verse 12. Why didn't he keep reading? Well, Let's find out why. Verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Our elder brother, Jesus Christ, who accomplished suffering in his state of humiliation, has become the lion treader. The Lord Jesus fulfills this text for us. And all those who are united with him by faith are made to be lion treaders as well. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live lives of humility, to be sober-minded, to be alert, and to resist the devil and his lies, and to receive our eternal reward. So how do we know that glory is our reward for enduring suffering because Christ has paved the way and where he goes, we will follow. So how else can we finish? than by joining the Apostle Peter in worshiping our great God. He finishes the main body of his letter after reflecting on this great truth of God's faithfulness and he writes, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. There may be spiritual forces that wish to annihilate us, but to God be the dominion. There may be humans that wish to bring harm on us, but to God be the dominion. Our bodies may grow weak in time, but to God be the dominion. No one and nothing can can, can undo his eternal saving purposes in Christ. So may this bring you comfort as you go through trials in this life. May this bring you comfort when a lion enters your tent. The victory is yours in Christ Jesus, the lion treader. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know that we are not called to an easy life, and yet, We confess with the Apostle Peter that we are called to a glorious life a life in the world to come with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so may you help us help us to walk as our Lord walked knowing that he is the trailblazer ahead of us knowing that where we failed he succeeded Knowing that we are resting in His righteousness and His alone. And help us to finish this race well. May we cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care, knowing that you will do something about our anxiety, about our suffering, our trials. May you remind us of the Lord Jesus, who indeed suffered and suffered greatly. And he did so for us, for our sin. But who now reigns in glory, who is now high and lifted up. And may that comfort us, may that encourage us to know that where he goes, we will follow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us respond to God's word together by singing uh, a hymn, number 689, Be Still My Soul. Harvest received now the Lord's blessing. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.